at the end of the day, you know, there's not a product that can stop somebody from drinking, but there's things that we can do to help curb someone's bad habits. You're listening to the Texas Family Law Insiders Podcast, your source for the latest news and trends in family law in the state of Texas. Now here's your host, Attorney Holly Draper. Today, I'm excited to welcome Mike Fonseca to the Texas Family Law Insiders Podcast. Mike has been the National Sales Manager for Soberlink since 2011. He manages national matrimonial organizations like AAML, AFCC, and the Family Law Section of the ABA. He dedicates his efforts to educating matrimonial professionals on Soberlink's alcohol monitoring technology for child custody cases. Mike and his wife, Amber, are proud parents to their sons, Roman and Lincoln, and they reside in North Texas. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Holly. Pleasure to be here with you. So why don't you start and just tell us a little bit about yourself? So I spend most of my time uh, traveling the country, educating uh, matrimonial professionals, judges, uh, courts on best practices, on uh, alcohol monitoring, best practices, kind of the pitfalls and helping people really have successful outcomes, um, not being used as a weapon, more just as an accountability tool, helping people get from one point to another and and gaining trust ultimately to be able to uh, have visitations with their kids and have uh, the opposing side not be too, uh, I guess the term is nervous or, or, or considering not allowing unsupervised visitations. That's, that's the goal that we, we strive for. So for anyone who might not be familiar with Soberlink, can you give us kind of a high level overview of what it is? Sure. So it's hardware and software. And if you've never seen it, I'm holding it in my hand. This is how small it is. And I'm not a giant. I'm six feet tall and, and 220 pounds. So you can see my hand here, but it's a, it's a high tech breathalyzer. It uh, encompasses a camera. We do 100% facial recognition. It has a breathalyzer, and uh, essentially it has an engine source, either a cell phone or we have one product that has a phone built inside. It transmits an alcohol result to concerned parties in real time. So there's really nothing like it in family law that does real-time monitoring. There's products that kind of surface on what we do, but nothing's in real time. And we make it really easy to understand for uh, for concerned parties and attorneys. And we'll get into like some of the reporting and some of the results that we offer to uh, to all parties and, and uh, as well as certified records for court purposes as well. Yeah, I think this is such a valuable tool for a family law case. You know, looking back on early in my family law career, kind of before before Soberlink, or at least before it became pretty common, it was sort of like the parent that wasn't having the alcohol issue had to be the alcohol police. And there were just so many more things they had to do if they were trying to protect their kids and make sure that somebody wasn't drinking um, or somebody wasn't drinking excessively. So I think this is a great tool that has really kind of revolutionized the alcohol monitoring of family law cases. Correct. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, there's not a product that can stop somebody from drinking, but there's things that we can do to help curb someone's bad habits. And, you know, once once someone can't test accordingly to their agreements and so forth, it's it's pretty remarkable that, uh, you know, people can't get away with it. People assume that 
we're not looking at photographs and they can get away with somebody else testing for them or they think that uh, having a couple of drinks after their last night's test won't test uh, or show positive the next morning and, and uh, people end up trying to see how many drinks they can have until they test positive in the morning. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. So what other products or systems are currently out there that are being used in this same type of space? So in family law, there's still courts that use older technologies like ignition interlocks, just for example. Um, those are hardwired products that go into an ignition of a car and they immobilize a car. If In Texas, it's 0.03 is the threshold. So if you blow anything under 0.03, the car will, will start and anything 0.03 or greater, the car is immobilized. But, you know, I, we live in Texas. I don't know many households that have less than one car. So if they agree to use it, they can put it into a car and just never drive that car and drive, you know, another car and, and nobody will ever know if they're drinking or not. The other side of it is, is it's not real time. You have to go into a shop, download the results. They, uh, they get emailed and it just, you, there could be a month lag time in case there's any, uh, any problems that someone should know about. There's some other products too. Just for example, like uh, an ankle bracelet is still used. Criminal courts use scram ankle bracelets, which is a transdermal unit. It gets fixed on an ankle. It's not very private um, living in Texas. So, you know, you can't wear skirts or shorts and not be known. It's a big clunky breath device that goes on an ankle. It gives uh, transdermal alcohol use every 30 minutes. Again, that goes to a transponder. It goes to a monitoring station in Colorado. And there's no results that are given with a minimum of 24 hours. So it's it's not a perfect device and it's very expensive as well. More, more engineered for criminal use. There is a company actually called Backtrack. It's a consumer grade breath device. They are catering to family law, but I wouldn't recommend using it. It's a consumer grade product, really easy to manipulate. And uh, it's a very cheap product. It's under $100. I've had some people tell me recently that they buy two of them. They use uh, someone's smartphone to uh, test into it. It requires video streaming and the opposing side to verify identity. And uh, just recently, someone actually panned where they were doing the video stream and they accidentally panned and showed someone outside of the range that was actually testing for them. So they bought two devices and it was really easy to game and somebody else was testing for them in Bluetooth range. So not a perfect device uh, for family law when child custody and, and uh, child endangerment is at risk. Okay, and then we also, I know we have different kinds of alcohol testing, blood testing, urine testing. And I talk a little bit about the testing and how we can kind of tie that into using something like Soberlink. Sure, so traditional drug testing or uh, urine testing is, is still used in family law. And it's a good viable tool for drugs, but alcohol eliminates very quickly. And uh, just for example, the, the, a, a normal adult eliminates 0.015 to 0.02 BAC per hour. And that's just a normal burnoff and it slows down when you're sleeping. But there's still people that use urine testing or ETG testing that claims that they can test up to 80 hours of uh, consumption. The problem is, is, you know, we do a lot of parenting time only monitoring and somebody could test positive, but not be under the influence at the time. So it's, uh, it's a very 
older technologies for alcohol monitoring. Someone that's supposed to abstain fully, it actually could be viable. There's a product uh, called PETH testing, which is a blood test. It goes back up to two weeks. So if someone is supposed to abstain from alcohol and they don't want to be monitored on a daily basis, they could agree to uh, having blood tests twice a month and uh, it will prove that they're abstaining from alcohol. And it's it's an expensive but simpler format than testing daily, For just for example. And that's typically for someone that's graduated and have multiple years of sobriety and they still need to prove sobriety to uh, to the opposing side. So my understanding um, with the PET test was that it, was, it wasn't going to show if you just had a glass of wine with dinner last night or this week. It was going to show if you were binging or you were regularly drinking. Are there tests out there that are going to show if you've had anything in the last two weeks? Yeah, so PEP test is actually the bulletproof one. Um, I think what you're talking about is ETG testing. And ETG testing is you really have to consume a lot to test positive, even within 24 hours. They claim 80 hours, but uh, you really have to get to a high marker to test positive even the next day. We actually, we did an independent study and we had, I believe it was 12 people. They tested on Soberlink for 30 days. They were instructed to consume regularly. Everybody consumed. Um, They were testing weekly on ETG and they were testing daily in Soberlink. And out of Everybody drinking, and there was people. There were some people that drank every day. There were some people that only drank a couple of days a week, and only one out of those twelve, even though they all were drinking during the thirty days, tested positive for ETG, and they all tested positive for sober length. So, it's not a perfect system by any means, but they're still used in family law. So, when should family law attorneys consider using sober link in their cases? So, I recommend and tell attorneys. To uh, when you have your first interview, you know, get in front of it. What uh, what's going to come up? Are there some challenges? Is alcohol, drugs, anything going to come up in uh, in the fight or the communication? And, and uh, sometimes attorneys now are using us preemptively. They're actually using it to test. They tell their clients, "Hey, get on Soberlink. I want you to abstain from alcohol for thirty days." And the records go to the attorneys. So. When it does come up, you can show either they couldn't abstain or they tested and they abstained for 30 days. And that should be enough for any court to show that uh, that the claim is being used as a weapon. And it's not true because I think if someone can not drink for 30 days. They don't have a problem. So I think that's that's an interesting tactic that I hadn't really thought of. You know, when it's your client that's going to be accused of mm-hmm. being an alcoholic or drinking excessively or all those things. And, and oftentimes we can't get to a temporary order hearing quicker than 30 days. So if you know in advance that, hey, mm-hmm. the other side is going to make this argument, you can cut it down at the source right there with, you know, by using Soberlink in advance. The most of us probably think about using it when we're accusing the other side or our client is accusing the other side of drinking excessively and, you know, kind of making that recommendation of, you know, you don't. You don't have to be the alcohol police. And this is how we're going to best keep your kids safe. So diving in a little bit to the options that are offered with Soberlink, can you talk about, you know, the different levels and what those involve? Sure. So we offer two levels. Level one is parenting time only monitoring. And level two is seven day a week, everyday testing. We're a zero tolerance device. 
So it's plus or minus 0 0.005 uh, gives the results of positive. So we don't want to be used, like I mentioned, as a weapon. We don't recommend any more than four tests for high-risk cases and less than two tests per day for uh, the normal uh, parent to be testing. Three ends up being like the perfect uh, testing method. So in level one, they would test prior to child exchange. So if I'm dad and I'm going to pick up the kids on Friday at three o'clock from school and I've got them until five o'clock on Sunday, just for example, I would start testing Friday morning. So my wife or ex-wife would start getting results that I am sober that day of exchange. I would test prior to pickup and then it starts the schedule. So I would test before bad time. And then the next day I would test first thing in the morning when I wake up one time in the middle of the day, for example, and then before bedtime. And uh, like I mentioned, it's a zero tolerance device. The results go in real time to the concerned parties via email or text. And uh, hopefully there's just no issues during that monitoring period. For everyday testing, it's three times a day. Um, like I mentioned, first thing in the morning, last thing before bed. You never want to allow more than like nine hours sleep time. People write orders and agreements where there's actually just too much time in between testing. Like they say, 9 a.m. and 9 p.m., for example. And that's just too much time. And I just, at the age that we're at, I don't know anyone that sleeps more than 12 hours, especially when you're supposed to be watching their kids. <laughs> So you mentioned zero tolerance a couple of times. One of the things I've heard as concerns or as, you know, allegations, are you ever going to blow a positive test from toothpaste or mouthwash or some, you know, having a dessert that has cream to mint in it or, you know, something that is really not drinking? So the answer is can somebody test positive without drinking? And yes, the answer is yes. Um, we call them false positives and our device is sensitive to any alcohol-based products. So creme de mint, unless it has alcohol in it, it won't test positive. Chocolate won't, toothpaste doesn't. There are specific products that are over the counter that do contain alcohol. An example is mouthwash. It's the commonly used excuse per se. But we get ahead of it with our retesting measures. Um, if somebody tests positive with Soberlink, it doesn't notify anyone on the first positive. But they're contractually obligated to test every 15 minutes up to six consecutive tests or until alcohol is eliminated. So the goal is to eliminate the idea of mouthwash or uh, we call it mouth alcohol. So if I was to use mouthwash, test in Soberlink, I would test a very high marker. And then the device locks you out and you are instructed and reminded to test in 15 minutes. The device will unlock in 15 minutes and then you retest. And if it was alcohol or mouth alcohol, uh, mouthwash, for example, in 15 minutes without even rinsing your mouth with water, it will completely eliminate. So hopefully it's a positive followed by a negative and no alarms or no alerts go out to anyone. The secondary test is the confirmation test. If someone tests positive and then positive again, that second test is when people get alarmed and alerted, and then they keep retesting until, again, there's no alcohol detected or uh, up to six consecutive tests. Those markers are what allow us to confirm to attorneys and certified records that it was like consumption 
and we will uh, show the markers and show the BAC levels of the curve, how it was uh, like consumption. And it's typically the morning tests. Someone had drinks after their last night's test, think they can get away with it. They start testing in the morning and uh, it's typically low levels. Sometimes it's high levels, but it's typically low levels and uh, their retests show a perfect curve of illumination. So that's how we uh, were able to prove if it's consumption or not. But there's there are products that are viable false positives like hand sanitizers. It's a high level concentration of, of alcohol. They might have gotten into the tube or the straw or it's just the vapors and they test positive and then negative because they get alarmed. Like, why did I test positive? I didn't consume. And in 15 minutes, the confirmation test will show that they weren't drinking because it's a high level and then a, a zero. And there's just no way to eliminate that way. So when you have that situation where there's that essentially false positive first, does the other side, you know, assuming that your second test is negative, does the other side find out about that first false positive or are they only going to get, you know, that it was a clear? So the test shows in records in in the emailed alerts, which we call it advanced reporting, it will show a positive test followed by a negative. So the markers never leave. Um, but it was confirmed that it was a false positive. If someone tests, you know, positive, 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 positive for six tests, you will see actually the data that shows all the BAC markers, times, and it's very just easy to explain how it was like consumption versus a false positive. So as attorneys, when we get these results and we have our, you know, our client who's not the one testing, who's freaking out about his positive test, that was then immediately 15 minutes later, a negative test. We can feel very confident telling our clients that, look, he wasn't drinking. It was probably mouthwash or some just random false positive, but the subsequent testing proves that he was not actually drinking. That's correct. And we try to get ahead of it. We have client user agreements that they sign. It's a multi-page document that says, don't use products that contain alcohol. Uh, don't wear hats for facial recognition or sunglasses so we can verify uh, identity. But, you know, it's exception-based testing. People make mistakes, especially over time and over months. And the goal is to, if they absolutely have to use products that have alcohol, you know, submit your test first and then use the product because it's not alcohol, not consumption. But uh, we highly recommend not using it. There's mouthwash without alcohol. So with the parenting time only, uh, you know, our parties usually will have a court order that has a specific schedule, but sometimes that schedule can change or they're changing things by agreement. Are the parties able to go in and change that parenting time only on the fly? Or is it just you have to set in a schedule and stick with it? So, no, level one parenting time monitoring actually doesn't use our scheduler and the device never shuts off. So you're able to test in accordance to the agreements and orders that you write. They're able to completely customize to their schedule, whether it's who's picking up the child at soccer or baseball or whatever it might be. They can test X amount of times per day. It, the device just never shuts off. We allow up to 20 days of testing, not 20 tests per day uh, or 20 tests per month. It's 20 days of testing, which is well over 50% visitation time. And like I mentioned, we recommend two to four tests per day, and uh, they're just able to unlock the device, submit their test. It takes less than a minute 
and in real time the results go out. So it's it's uh, a nice safe haven for all parties. There's no need to test more than four times. We've gone down this path. We're up to a half a million people monitored. So now we have data that shows kind of what the sweet spot is. And we monitor people with drinking problems uh, or not. Um, so if they're truly engulfed in a drinking issue, they just can't stop drinking. So we, you know, we recommend usage for a year's term, just for example. And I can tell you that the average person stays on the device for about just over seven months because they either graduate their term of, of, of agreement or they can't get past the first weekend. They really just have a drinking problem. This episode of the Texas Family Law Insiders podcast is sponsored by the Draper Law Firm, providing family law litigation in Collin, Denton and Dallas counties and appeals across Texas. For more information, visit draperfirm.com or call 469-715-6801. So back to the parenting time only, if there's not a schedule in the system, is it accurate to say that you're not going to get a notification for a missed test? That's correct. So with all the time, the daily testing, is there a schedule there where you will get a notification for a missed test? Yes. So if they're supposed to abstain every day, they go into our scheduler, just for example. And uh, if I'm dad and I'm going to test three times a day, we put it into our system and I get text message reminders that my morning test is due, my afternoon test is due, and night test is due. For parenting time only monitoring, it's up to the agreement. You put in there, there are two tests at 7 a.m., 3 p.m., 10 p.m., just for example. You want to write in the agreements, what is an allowable compliance window? Um, for everyday testing, our default window is, is uh, two hours, and we don't do anything less than one hour. So you want to put in the agreements for level one, for example. If they're going to test at, say, 7 a.m., what is considered late? So it might be 8 a.m. is considered late or 9 a.m. is considered late. So they're able to test until... 7.59 and 59 seconds and be in compliance or 8.59 and 59 seconds and be in compliance. And we do that, again, like we're a zero tolerance device. People make mistakes. They might driven their kids to school and they forgot their device or they might have, be at a soccer game and uh, they just forgot their device. And uh, we're, we're trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. And the data will show they typically are in compliance. And if they make a mistake, you know, you get in front of it. Why did they make a mistake? And it's typically a viable answer or excuse, whether they just forgot the device and, and they tested late, but they still tested and they were within compliance of zero uh, test results. Um, for everyday testing, it's super easy. They actually get prompted via text message. If I'm dad and I'm testing at 7 a.m., I get a text, a text starting at 6.45 saying my 7 a.m. test could be submitted. and then. At 7.30, I get a reminder. At 8, I'll get a reminder. And if, like I mentioned, we have a, a default two-hour uh, window. Until 9 o'clock, an alert would go out uh, if I didn't test that. A test was missed. And, you know, what do you do about it? So we like to tell attorneys in, in the agreements to be proactive, right? In the agreements, what is supposed to happen in case of noncompliance, whether it's a grandparent or loved one who's going to call who's going to text and, and intervene to find out what exactly is going on. And it might be someone just fell asleep. So if we have a client that is not the parent being monitored, they're the other parents, 
And, you know, mom is supposed to test before her possession starts on Friday afternoon, but she doesn't because it's parenting time only system. The only way dad is going to know that is if he logs in specifically to see it. He's not going to get any type of an alert because there's no schedule in the system. It's just based on their agreement or their order. Correct. And based on the agreements and orders is, you know, if they don't submit a test prior to exchange, they aren't allowed to pick up the child. So So for uh, anybody who wants to have that kind of hands-off approach of, well, if there's a missed test or a fail, a missed test, really, because either way, you're going to know about a failed test. But, you know, you want to have confidence that no tests were missed. You really need to be on that daily testing plan so that you're going to get alerts when anything is missed. Yes, it, it is. I've learned over the years in, in, in discussions with parents that they're typically on the lookout. They, they, they really are looking for that test, especially prior to exchange. And then during the course of unsupervised visitations, they might then not so much be on alert. They know it's coming, but they're not actually waiting for it. The one they are always waiting for is prior to exchange. That one, they're, they're really wanting to make sure that the parents uh, in compliance Okay, so aside from, you know, we have level one and level two, um, parenting time and daily, are there different levels of service within that that people can get? Yes. Um, So within every level, there's three options. We have a basic plan, and those typically are used for preemptive monitoring. They're not real-time notifications. It's an email report that gets sent the next day of the previous day's uh, testing. So that would be more for client attorney uh, testing methods to show abstinence um, where someone doesn't need to know in real time. Then we have a plus program, which is real-time notifications via email. And you can upload or we can insert as many contacts that are needed. So typically it's the concerned parent. And, you know, if someone's really trying to show good faith in their abstinence and they want to put in their parents or they want to put in opposing counsel, um, they can upload as many email addresses as needed to show the notifications. And then we have a premium plan, which is email and text message alerts. That one is our most expensive. And it also includes um, reports that you can download uh, as an attorney. You can request business records, you can request changes in the programs, and there's just no additional fees. If you call our office and say, I need a report, it's typically a $50 fee. And and if they go into the premium plan, it's just all inclusive. Is there any equipment that people need to purchase? Yes. And that's actually the out-of-pocket cost to get started with uh, the monitoring. So the Mm -hmm. device, if they agree to a year's term, just for example, the device costs $300. And that's what they pay out of pocket. We ship the device Federal Express. We don't do anything more than three day, but we have the capability of shipping next day, even Saturday delivery. It is remarkable that orders get written and they're supposed to start on a specific date and people wait till the last day all the time. And they have mm-hmm. to they end up having to pay for overnight freight. But uh, once they get the device, they call uh, a phone number. They activate, activate the device. We make sure that they're comfortable using it. And then from then they go on their testing regimen according according to the agreement or the order. Then they pay a monthly monitoring fee on the back end. So what's today, like the 7th or I forget what day it is, but 
if I was to start testing today, my first bill wouldn't come until January 1, and it would be prorated from the month prior. So they don't pay monitoring fees until the back end. So can SoberLink detect if someone is trying to cheat the system? Wow. Yes. Uh, wasn't expecting that question, but great, uh, great one. We get people that try to game the device on a regular basis. Um, when we first started, when we got into criminal monitoring and family law monitoring, people try to see what they can get away with. And um, people think that it's like uh, ignition interlock where it requires a probation officer to look at photos, for example, and they'll have someone else test for them. And I can tell you that that's a big no-no. Every test gets looked at of, of, of someone else testing for them will get flagged within minutes and everyone will get notified that uh, that somebody else tested for the person who's supposed to test. We do get people that get really creative and they will pour a hole in the bottom of the straw and they will use candor compressed air. We actually have temperature sensors. We're on our sixth generation device. Uh, tamper detection where if it's not human breath temperature, it will actually raise a red flag algorithm. It will get our compliance department involved. They will actually look at temperature. And if it's candor compressed air, which is typically cold, they'd have to be dead to produce that type <laughs> of temperature, to produce that type of temperature. And we will give people the benefit of the doubt. It's not real time. We will actually overnight a replacement device take the device that they had, make sure that the temperature sensors are working. And if they are, we will send a notification out saying that there was a tamper at somebody else or it was falsified air, that there's just no way it was humanly possible to produce that breath sample. Another thing that we have in our tamper detection is over time, people submit a breath pressure that is consistent and constant. We record all these breath uh, pressures. So if it's something outside of a norm, it also raises a red flag out uh, algorithm. And we look at it deeper to make sure that nobody's tampering. So our case, we're using Soberlink, either our side or the other side, and we want to use it in court and prove either that this person is being compliant or that this person has failed tests or whatever. Are there any admissibility problems with trying to use Soberlink and kind of how should attorneys go about using it in court? So we're approved in all 50 states. Um, I mentioned we were in criminal monitoring. We sold that division in 15. So we're a healthcare company. Um, we do abstinence monitoring for licensed professionals, doctors, lawyers, nurses. We do business with 11 major airlines. We know it's at risk people's livelihoods, and at the same time, child safety. We hold it at a super high level of concern. We manufacture in the United States, and there's just no way around it. Um, if they're going to be compliant or not, the notifications will go out within real time to make sure that people are doing what they're supposed to do. We do our best to give people the benefit of the doubt. We don't want to be used as a weapon, like I mentioned, or I keep mentioning, but you know, they're either going to be compliant or not. And when someone's not ready to abstain from alcohol, we'll give them the data that shows that, you know, why they were positive or why they tested positive. And the goal is to not just 
revoke visitation. And, you know, the idea is to get in front of it. What is the root of the problem? Why did they drink? And at the same time, what time did they test positive? Was it in the morning or was it three o'clock before their pickup or they're supposed to be driving their kids? There's different reasons for concern and the idea is to get ahead of it, get ahead of the problem and and treat it like a, a clinical problem, not so much a I got you and I'm taking the kids away from you. So if we want to obtain records from our case to use in a hearing or a trial, is there somewhere we can just print them out from our client's account? Or is there a system for attorneys getting them directly from Soberlink in a more admissible format? That yes. sort of thing. So reporting in real time, for example, is a text or email alert. And we're HIPAA compliant. So it's a very vague, generalized, just alert. It says this person tested compliant or non-compliant. Then they get reports via email daily, weekly, bi-monthly or monthly. And they have a hyperlink in the top corner where you can click on it. And it actually gives a very easy to read report. If you need reporting for court purposes, you actually would email our compliance department, which is our legal team compliance at soberlink.com. You say, I represent this client. I need certified records from this day to this day for a court hearing. We generate real reports that have test times, photographs, detailed reports, and we'll give them to attorneys or anyone that's an authorized contact within 48 hours. So those reports are admissible. So when the person signs up, they're the ones who are, you know, checking the box that you can release it to these people. Or if we have a court order that says you can release it to these people, um, we certainly don't want to run into any HIPAA issues. So what's the best way to ensure that it will be released to us or it can be released to us? So we recommend for clients when they sign up to put in their attorneys as authorized contacts. That way you can communicate with us without having the client's permission. It doesn't always happen. And if you represent a specific person, you're able to have the client email our compliance department, copy you. And that is enough authorization. As long as they copy you, that's authorization that you can then communicate with us or they can say, I give my attorney authorization to give certified records and you can request anything from us at that point. What about testimony from Soberlink? What if we need someone to testify why this was a false positive or why, you know, um, the how the equipment works and why we can rely on it? What do we do in that situation? So our website is the easiest way to navigate any legal requests. If you go to Soberlink.com on the very top toolbar, it says for family law professionals, You're able to, from there, request certified records. You're able to request legal testimony. And there is a process. It's a a one-page application. It states, you know, when your hearing is. It states if it's telephonic or in person. Um, I think the pandemic made it much easier for for a telephonic testimony. But again, there is a, a specific fee depending on if it's telephonic or in person with travel. And depending on what's getting contested is who we would have testify to uh, to the records, for example. So if there's an attorney that is just 
tooth and nail fighting hardware, the breath device, something was faulty or they're just contesting it. We'd send an engineer who could testify to hardware. If it's just records of consumption, it would be um, someone on our legal team to explain how elimination works and so forth. And if it really gets deeper than that and it needs to be a toxicologist, we'll have someone within the state that's certified to, uh, to testify to its light consumption. Awesome. So that is, those are pretty much all the questions that I had, but is there anything else related to Soberlink that you think attorneys need to know? Well, I think attorneys need to know that there's programs for everyone. Um, the day we became cash flow positive, we started giving back. So we have assistance programs and we would rather give the device and give the program for free if someone can't afford it than have them use a lesser product. So we want to make sure that courts, judges, attorneys know that we're looking after child safety and the health benefits of someone being a, a accountable parent. And the goal is to be able to show good faith in child safety. So we offer a free programs. Sometimes they might just need help with the hardware to get started. And we'll do that as well. We ask for attorneys who are working um, pro bono or at a reduced rate to apply for their clients. We never say no. Um, so if an attorney is willing to work at a discount and they're working for their client's well-being and the child's well-being, we'll donate the hardware, the software, or both. And it's just a super easy pro process. We give out codes for free devices on a regular basis, or we just give full service to uh, at no charge for clients that are in need. Perfect. Um, yeah. Outside of that, it's a super easy format. It's once they open the device, when they get the product, it comes with a one page card. It's like buying an Apple product. It says, follow these steps. They call a phone number. They go through activation phase. And like I mentioned, we ship Federal Express. They can start monitoring as quickly as next day. They don't need to go into any office. We ship straight to their home or office. So it's very private. Not even children need to know that a parent's being monitored. They literally can test in less than a minute, go into the bathroom, go into their bedroom, go into their car, whatever it needs to happen. Or if they're at work and they need to be tested, they could completely be discreet. And it's very easy and simple to use. Like I mentioned, I think you saw how small it is. It fits in someone's pocket. There's just no no cumbersome device that, that someone needs to feel like they're being threatened at work or uh, they're out of their privacy um, threshold, for example. I did think of one more question. Um, do you all have sample language anywhere for what attorneys should be looking to put into orders related to Soberlink, or is that something you stay away from? No. So we do have sample orders, um, again, on our website under, under uh, matrimonial professionals. You can actually download and print sample verbiage. Again, our, our verbiage is very generalized. It's information that we need for appropriate testing and monitoring. But every family law case has some different nuance, whether it's, um, you know, what time they're going to pick them up because there's ballet involved or whatever the circumstance might be. Um, our information is very generalized, but it is commonly used and we recommend using it because that is exactly what needs to be uh, discussed who gets the information, how big of a compliance window you want to offer, 
who gets the results in real time and who's able to communicate with Soberlink to get certified records for court purposes. So those are all viable, important information that we need for agreements. Um, we want to make sure that people don't test too much. It's not like adult probation where they have to test every two hours. I mentioned we're a zero tolerance device. There's just no need for excessive testing. If someone's going to consume, they're not going to stop at one drink. And those are just the types of people that we monitor. So uh, we want to make sure that they have a, a positive experience during their alcohol monitoring, um, not using us as, like I mentioned, a, a, a weapon. It's just for accountability and making sure that kids are safe. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, where can our listeners go if they want to connect with you? So they can always reach me through our website on our professionals tab. They can request quick presentations. I do lunch and learns. Uh, my email address is my initials, mf at soberlink.com. I'm always available to professionals. So attorneys and judges, they're always welcome to reach out to me. I'm always on the road, but there's Wi-Fi on every airplane now. So I'm always very responsive in real time or at least within 24 hours. If someone needs help for business records, for example, or certified records, I will make sure that whatever they need within a specific time frame. sometimes there's emergency hearings, I'll make sure and, and, and get to the right person to make sure that they get the information they need within the timely manner that, that that's, that's needed to make sure that everyone has a positive experience. Um, but again, I'm all over uh, the state and all over the country doing education for best practices. So you can always reach out to me to schedule a lunch and learn. There might be a question that I didn't touch on or we didn't touch on that might be a, a valuable source. And also I want feedback, making sure that we're doing what we need to. And if there's something better that we could be doing, um, I want to make sure that we jump ahead of it because we're constantly evolving. I mentioned we're on our sixth generation device and there's a reason for it. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for our listeners. If you enjoyed today's podcast, take a second to leave us a review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. The Texas Family Law Insiders podcast is sponsored by the Draper Law Firm. We help people navigate divorce and child custody cases and handle family law appellate matters. For more information, visit our website at www.draperfirm.com.